Britain may have lost its empire of space, all those pink areas on the map of the world, but its empire of time persists. Greenwich, that riverside stretch of South London, is still the place by which the world sets its watches, on the principle that the measurement of time proceeds from the measurement of the movement of the Earth. And the Earth is slowing down, very slightly, which is why, from time to time, a leap second is added to keep the clock and the planet aligned. But all this may be about to change, and, as you'll hear, the loss of a second or two might mean the loss of a fortune, as well as the loss of British temporal power. My name's Matthew Sweet, and this is the podcast from 1843, the new sister magazine of The Economist, where you can hear our contributors in conversation. And joining me is Tom Whipple, who's been clock-watching for the latest issue of the magazine. Tom, Britain seems still to be the centre of the temporal universe. What change is being proposed and why is it important? In some senses, it's the the smallest change you could imagine. Roughly every year, we have a 61-second minute, and nobody normal will notice it because nobody in the normal world needs needs clocks that accurate. Um, But there's a proposal to get rid of it, essentially because it's just really inconvenient. We've got all of these atomic clocks around the world that have to add an extra second, and they just repeat. They just go 59 Zero, 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 zero. That seems fine, except these clocks run our global positioning systems that keep planes in the air. They run our markets that keep the world's financial systems talking to each other. And sometimes when this happens, we have crashes on the internet. And the concern is that, you know, these relatively minor crashes that now happen every time there's a leap second could happen on the markets or in the global positioning systems. And then you're left with fairly major, either literal crashes of planes or of stock markets, which could cause chaos. Why is measuring time from Greenwich no longer perceived as, as adequate? Well, so it's not that people don't want to measure it from Greenwich. It's that they don't want to add leap seconds. And One of the odd consequences of this is that the current scenario where, on average, at midday GMT, the sun is directly overhead at Greenwich, uh, that will cease to be the case. And the meridian is defined as the thing where the sun is directly overhead at midday. And so if we keep that as the definition of the world's meridian, the place where we count all the time from, that meridian will slowly shift. And worse, it will end up with the French eventually. It'll go through Paris and the French used it's to... It's moving have... towards Lewisham right now, it is, I assume. It yeah. Is, yeah, it's exactly, yes. It, it's moving slowly to the east um, and it'll take a really long time. And that's where one of the more interesting questions that they were discussing at the, uh, at the time conference is whether we could have a compromise and we could stick in a leap half hour. So when we've got half an hour of change, we do that. And the fascinating thing about that is it would be making a decision that the world wouldn't have to enact for over a millennium. So it'd be a bit like, you know, Aquinas decreeing the amount of water in our water clocks in the year 2016 and and thinking this would have any relevance. But that would keep the meridian technically tied to Greenwich and would put off decisions until we're all long dead as a species even. That's that's the coolest thing I'm going to hear today. This is a sort of organisational problem, isn't it? It's a, it's a revision of something, as you say, for, for the, the convenience of the world. But it also represents a kind of philosophical shift, doesn't it? Since we've had timekeeping, we've applied our finest technology to modelling the rotation of the Earth, which sounds a bit 
of an odd way to put it, but it wouldn't have seemed odd to you in the 1100s when you saw your first clock. Then time was a sun going around the earth. We didn't even know that the earth went around the sun. So the first clock faces just showed the position of the sun in the sky, and that was time. And so these clocks were trying to, as accurately as possible, model the rotation of the earth. And then this fascinating thing happened where in the middle of the last century we got too good at telling the time and we produced these atomic clocks that were better at telling the time than the planet and so we realized the planet's slowing down because every tide is this energy coming out of the rotation of the the planet and this is what the atomic clocks showed us but then what is time if if time is the vibrations of a cesium atom but it's not. Time is the Earth. That's the point of time. That's our entire human understanding. So if we've got better at telling the time than our timekeeper, what do we do? And that's how we ended up with this fudge that is the leap second. This is fascinating, this, because it seems to me to, to, to represent something very fundamental about where we think time happens. If the proposal is that we, in a way, avert our gaze from the planet, avert our gaze from Greenwich, and look down into the, into the, the atomic structures of things, seeing what's happening inside these infinitesimally small particles, that's where we might now consider the time to be happening. As far as physicists are concerned, that's where time's been happening for 60 years because they need accurate instruments and cesium clocks are the most accurate instruments we have. But as far as you and I are concerned, it's quite convenient that midday happens when the sun's at the highest and there's this clash. There's this clash between the technical use of time and the civilian use of time. And that's why there's an argument. And so some countries really want to get rid of this leap second. And Britain, among a small handful of countries, is saying, you know, hang on, this is questioning our very understanding of what time is. It almost seems like a miniature version of that Copernican moment when we get pushed to the edge of our own universe, or that moment in the 19th century when Darwin tells us, no, the humanity is not at the centre of things. You're, you're an ape who got above himself a bit. Um, it won't produce the great culture shock of, of those uh, paradigm shifts in humanity's understanding of itself. But at some small level, there is something to compare there, isn't there? I think so, because if, if you remember when the Voyager probe went off into space... They had this plaque on the side of it, which was there to communicate with aliens. And it was about trying to think, what is our common language that an alien might understand? And it's going to be quasars, and it's going to be prime numbers, and it's going to be all these other things. If you wanted to communicate time to an alien, as we use it on the Earth, well, you couldn't use the rotation of the Earth. I don't know how it rotates. But you could stick a cesium atom on the size of that, and they'd understand it. And a second on the alien planet, when they picked it up, would be exactly the same as a second on on our planet. So in that sense, it's a more universal thing. You said that uh, that Britain was part of a small number of countries who were arguing that we should keep our eyes fixed on the planet. So are we making ourselves unpopular because of this? We're making ourselves hugely unpopular. I've been to a couple of these time gatherings and it's uh, representatives of the governments of each country uh, go and present their government's view on, on time and whether we should be keeping the leap second. 
Um, I noticed that the last one, they certainly didn't go out for the meal afterwards with everyone else. <laughs> um, I think it, it's relatively good-natured. Um, our representative, by the way, is ultimately Ofcom. So they're responsible for both vo- Virgin Broadband and the philosophical underpinnings of time. Ofcom are the guardians of time. Well, we, 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 set, we, we send someone from the, the International Telecoms Union in, in Geneva that um, has various representations of different bodies. And our, the scientist who actually goes is a guy from the National Physical Laboratory, um, but yeah, our official uh, time representatives are Ofcom. And are these public meetings, or do they happen behind closed doors? Um, these convocations of time. Yes, doors? yeah, yeah, smoke-filled rooms. They, they they do happen behind closed doors. Um, they're, they're 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 not that sinister. There are a few time geeks getting together with instructions from their respective governments to put their stance forward. Could we go it alone here? Could we have some sort of temporal Brexit? It would be fascinating. I think the London Stock Exchange might might worry if we're slowly drifting away from the rest of the world. Um, I think realistically we're too interconnected and it has to be a global decision. But until now, these decisions have to be unanimous and Britain isn't playing ball. Let's talk about money because this seems to be this seems to be a key factor here that that all of this uh, financial software has to be aligned in some way that people trading all over the world have to agree what time it is. So are those is that world being considered by the scientists who who meet to discuss these matters? It is. I think if we're honest that is the primary consideration of most of the countries other than Britain. So time is money. Time is money, yeah. And they say if if you can do a thousand trades a second, then it matters which second it happened on. If a second repeats itself, as happens, then that's a problem. You can't tell which trade went first. If it, for one second, you know, Tokyo's on a different time from London, that's a real problem. And in fact, during the last leap second, they closed the markets for a minute. So what happens is that although these seem like tiny uh, spaces to us, actually to the to the software that runs all of this stuff, these are great lagoons, great valleys in which all kinds of things can occur. All kinds of things. You may have heard of flash crashes where uh, we get algorithmic trading software that gets into a death spiral with itself and you can end up with the situations where markets have lost hundreds of billions in seconds. And in the past, we've managed to correct these in time, although they've had real-world consequences. You know, there, there was one stock exchange which, um, when it launched itself on the stock market, uh, the phrase I heard from a trader was, if they'd popped a champagne cork at the moment it was launched, by the time that cork hit the ground, it was worthless because algorithmic trading software had gone wrong. So this already goes wrong and the potential for it to go so much more wrong if they're not talking on the same time zone is quite serious. Is it not also a simple problem? If they agree to switch these systems, could we not agree just to kind of not buy or sell anything for three seconds? That doesn't sound like a big a big undertaking, a big deal. It doesn't sound like a big deal to me. It might well to traders. The truth is that these semi-apocalyptic scenarios are precisely what Britain would argue is nonsense. They'd say, look, this is... This is a problem we have managed up until now. We can continue to manage it in the future. Let's not get too hasty about changing the entire definition of time as humans have known it since they first stuck a stick in the sand by the Nile and measured the shadow.
the transformation of that uh, of that way of defining time we've talked about how that is a, essentially a philosophical idea the idea that we're somehow detaching time from the human scale of things the way this plays out in the financial world doesn't it suggest something has happened something similar has happened to to capitalism itself that this is something that isn't happening on a human scale that somehow the the atomic and the subatomic world is where commerce and finance really happens um i mean i think that's that's absolutely the case it was beyond the scope of what i was looking into in this but uh as I say, the algorithmic traders that make hundreds of trades a second uh, that can't possibly be unraveled in real time by humans are, are certainly suggesting that, yes, the rise of the machines in the markets. So both of these phenomena point us towards the moment of singularity. I, I, I think Human so. obsolescence <laughs> is what both of these, both of these things tell uh, us. And I doubt the robots will be worried about the position of the sun. <laughs> We're out of time, I'm afraid. If you want to read more about the Time Lords and this impending temporal chaos, then read Tom's piece in the June-July issue of 1843 magazine in print on our app or online at 1843magazine.com. On the next podcast in the series, discover the political ambitions of Eva Longoria.